Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch at genesis123.co or inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share some exciting offers and opportunities. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. So today is the last episode of 2022. And as you are probably overwhelmed with year-end recounts of this and that taking place in the media and it's about everywhere else in the world. Um, we're doing the same, but we're doing it differently from Israel, uniquely from Israel, because we are going to be discussing the top 10 prophetic news items in and relating to Israel in 2022. And I'm doing so today on the sidelines of the Christian Media Summit taking place in Jerusalem. Now, what's so important is I know you know this uh, if you've been following Inspiration from Zion or other programs, but Israel, the modern hist- the modern state of Israel, is really an intersection of biblical history and prof- and prophecy. And we're going to be discussing that today and how it plays out in current events. And there are many many examples. And I honestly think that, especially with our two incredible guests today, we're not going to get to cover them all. So I want to invite everybody to be in touch, and I'll provide some some additional content uh, and links that you can read about this. What's so interesting is that even today, as I'm preparing to have this conversation, and I suspect that our two guests as well, because they are well-versed in uh, in news and current events, the news items in Israel are not static. There's constantly a flux and always new developments taking place. And last night and this morning, when I looked at the news items, I thought, oh my goodness, we've got so much more to cover. We could probably do a month of top 10 biblical prophecy or pr- prophetic news items from Israel. So our guests are two incredible women, both friends, who have their hand on the pulse of uh, current events and news here in Israel. They're Christian journalists, each in their own right, tremendously respected as journalists with tremendous personal integrity. Um, I want to first introduce, we go in alphabetical order, Nicole Nic, uh, Nicole Johnsezian, right? Nicole is the news editor of All Israel News, All Arab News. And Nicole and I have known each other for a while because I've had the privilege of writing uh, occasionally, more than occasionally, for all Israel news. And we met virtually. Then we had an opportunity to meet in public and that we have these conversations on the sideline about what's going on in the in Israeli news and, and the Christian world. We've spoken many times and actually only, only a few months ago, Nicole, did we actually really get to sit down and have that great intense uh, conversation, which solidified, I think, so much in our relationship. And I'm really grateful that you're here. Nicole has been here in Jerusalem 
over 20 years and, mm-hmm. and probably for another conversation, definitely for another conversation, she's married into Israel's ancient Armenian Christian community here. And that's, that's a very intense conversation that, in fact, this weekend I was having uh, with, with a local woman in my community who said, who are Armenians anyway, who just simply didn't know. So we need to know and educate. Emily Jones. Wow, we go way back, huh, Emily? Yeah. Um, Emily is the CBN News producer here in the Jerusalem studio. Emily, you've been here four years? Yeah, for about four years um, in February. Mm -hmm. Four years. And actually, we had a funny meeting because Emily was speaking mm, five or six years ago at Mm -hmm. a Kufi summit in Washington, D.C. And I could still go back exactly to where I was sitting in the room watching Emily speak and then text, finding her contact information and texting her and just saying, wow, how in awe I was. And a few months later, as we were building up the Genesis 123 Foundation, I reached out to Emily to ask if she would consider being on our advisory board. And thankfully, she said yes. And what a blessing she is on, on as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation team. And um, and maybe you'll discuss how that in your own little introduction, um, how that was kind of an answer to your own prayers. Not me, but that conversation. Um, but actually, before we do, before we jump into these incredible topics, you're each in Israel. You've picked up your your lives. You're here. Nicole, you're a citizen. Um, and I, I love for you to talk just for a couple of minutes, which I hope will give listeners an opportunity to understand as we go into these topics, what's it like being here? What's it like being a journalist here and being a Christian journalist here? Maybe, Nicole, let's start with you. Okay, well, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for that. It's great to have met you and to get to have known you. So uh, this is awesome. I appreciate it. Um, well, I've kind of normalized what it's like to be here. So I'm not really sure now what's different or what's unique. But um, when I was studying journalism uh, in college, I thought to myself, like, there's, you know, there's always, there's always action somewhere. Like at the time, 1991, it was, um, you know, Soviet Union uh, broke apart. So I was like, oh, I wish I was there now to cover that. <laughs> and then um, unfortunately, a couple of years later, there was 9-11. And then there was the U.S. Uh, in- invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq. And and I always wished I could be where the action was. But what I noticed was that um, there is always, uh, from the beginning of time till now and through eternity, will be action in Jerusalem. So I said to myself, okay, rather than try to follow the action or get based in Iraq and then nothing happens, you know, for the next 20 years and I'm just, you know, bored, why don't I try living in, in Israel and, uh, and based in Jerusalem where there will always be action? So, um, so there is always action. Um, you know, Israel, all Israel news and all Arab news started two years ago. Um, and I, I was working in different outlets before, some freelance and some full-time, but you know, I've been full-time for just over two years with All Israel News. And um, since we, we basically started uh, with the signing of the Abraham Accords. So mm-hmm. there hasn't been one slow news day since then. And um, there's always something, to me, everything is, is still new here. Yeah. And, um, always, I'm learning every day. So. Amazing. It's, that's actually really amazing. Um, and, and as you're talking about not being in a place that's boring or there's news every day, I would think if there was some sort of algorithm, it, it, Jerusalem it, in specific, Israel in general, is probably one of the most breathless 
uh, places in which a journalist can be. Obviously, you can pick Washington and I suppose New York and some other uh, pivotal places in the world, but there's ne- you, you don't have a downtime. There's, ne- there's never a downtime because there's always something going yeah. on. Yeah, every city has its own intensity, like for, you know, no doubt. I grew up in New York and New York has its own intensity and D.C. has a different kind. I'm sure every city, especially the big ones in the capital cities, you know, have something. But Jerusalem has also that element of spiritual intensity um, and and clashes of religions. And it's, yeah. it's a very divided. It feels like a very divided city or like, let's say there's a specific, you know, orthodox neighborhood, an ultra orthodox neighborhood, a Christian neighborhood. So. So, you know, you feel that at a daily basis. Sure. Emily, you're here. You're here less is uh, uh, the same same general question. What's it like being a Christian and a journalist here? But but also maybe going to Nicole's point um, in almost 40 years, is it just so regular that you're used to it? Or do you have feet in, 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 in two different worlds? How's that for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just define it as it's just very intense. And I love what Nicole pointed out about it being spiritually intense, because it's one thing about, you know, like current events and and fast moving news. But then when you add what people believe about God and like the most deep, you know, parts of, of their being spiritually and throw that into the mix and there's like competing views, it's a whole nother level of intensity. I mean, you can really feel it just walking the streets of Jerusalem. Like it's heavy. It's heavy sometimes. Um, but I, I love um, working here and I'm so grateful to God for giving me the opportunity to work here. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't plan on going into journalism when I went into university because my dad's a journalist. I watched him on TV growing up. It's just like, okay, that's boring to me because it was so normal. But (laughs) one thing that was true for me was I'd always had a love for Israel and a love for the Middle East and just a fascination with this region. And so I um, ended up getting long story short, getting an internship in college at a newsroom, um, really because I was a broke college student who needed money. And I'm like, well, let me just try out journalism. And it was the perfect marriage because it gave me the opportunity to go to a region that I had loved and been fascinated with and been paying attention to and praying for since I was so young and then be able to go beyond the headlines. But um, meet the people on the ground and be here. And it really, it's just like such a blessing. Amazing. Uh, by the way, I'm glad you mentioned your father because I've had the privilege of meeting him and giving him a shout out. And with tremendous gratitude, he produced the very first run for Zion promotional video. So, yeah. uh, so that goes back a couple of years. Okay. Let's jump in. Um, I, I want to try and pick these topics in some order that makes sense, but there's no rules. And, and actually I, I just, Realize as you were both speaking, I have a sense of flutters because here I am, just Jonathan, interviewing two really intense uh, journalists. So I feel like, uh oh, I, I really have a, a lot to measure up to. So, Jonathan, all we can all learn from your interviewing skills. You oh. are an excellent interviewer. Really? And, Thank you. Center. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. I receive that. Thank you. Um, it, while it's less in the news today, much less. Uh, than it was several months ago. There's a war still going on in Ukraine and Russia. And there's been a a, a variety of ways that that's um, trickled out. And a lot of people will point to various biblical prophecies that here's here's the, the, the enemies from the north. 
um, Russia has its hands and feet and 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 um, uh, weapons in Syria, which is our northern neighbor. Um, Russia threats threatens Israel on one hand and is an incredible um, potential partner for cooperation, at least in keeping an element of peace in Syria. Ukraine wants Israel's help all the time, but is always voting against Israel in the United Nations, saying what great allies we are, and then saying, and then, and then when it push comes to shove, not really so much. What what do you think? I mean, just jump in. Are either allies? Um, what, what is this? What does this mean for us prophetically? What's happened as a consequence of the war that's now awfully close to a year old? Jump in. Um, okay, well, I mean, I want to I want to preface everything by saying that I am, you know, I, I'm not a, a prophetic person. I am a very practical person. And also that I, I work with Joel Rosenberg, and this is his bread and butter. So, um, so like, I defer, you know, definitely in our articles, like in terms of prophecy and stuff, but I mean, I look at the geopolitical aspect of this. So I guess in the beginning, when Russia rose up in the beginning, it was very, you know, chilling, I would say for a lot of, um, you know, people look at the, the scriptures, the prophecies of Gog and Magog, like, is this it? Is this the one? Like, is this the war that's going to galvanize like the whole region and he's going to drag in? Who is he going to bring with him on the way down south? Um, but, you know, maybe we have, um, you know, maybe maybe since it has been several months and, and it's still confined to one geographic region. So maybe I think that that ship has sailed in, in terms of like maybe people believing that. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I can't speak for everyone. But um, but looking at the, the geopolitical um, arena, um, it was very complicated. It still is very complicated because um, we're looking at Ukraine getting invaded and Ukraine, you know, need, needed military assistance. And, and that is one thing that Israel uh, could not uh, or is very, you know, very conflicted with providing because uh, Israel has, uh, well, because Russia has their, their military in Syria, which is Israel's neighbor. So, um so the, what with it, uh, the Russian military there, um, Israel um, does go uh, do like or is like it is believed that Israel, you know, Israel never says that they do this, but they uh, do um, uh, missions there, aerial assaults, bombings of, of Hezbollah and Iranian targets uh, in Syria um, that could be used against Israel. And there's been sort of like a status quo of Russia saying, okay, and not, you know, you know, uh, telling them to stop. And, and so there's just been this kind of like the Russians are there, the Israelis are there, but no one says anything and and it's okay. So there is that threat um, that if Israel very outwardly or militarily supports Ukraine, then Russia could turn against Israel. So that's been um, the conflict, uh, the internal conflict for the Israelis to weigh their own defense versus the Ukrainians. Yeah, mm-hmm. excellent, excellent overview. Emily, what yeah. do you want to add? Well, I mean, we definitely see Israel really walk, walking a diplomatic tightrope between like Russia and Ukraine. Like, you know, Israel and Russia do have this collaboration, supposedly, they, like I said, Israel doesn't talk about it, um, in Syria, but they, you know, are getting this pressure from Ukraine to help. But what's interesting to me is 
Iran bringing being brought into the situation and providing military like drones to Russia. And I think that's sending off Israel's spidey senses of like, we have been warning for years about the threat of Iran and its drones and its military capabilities. It, it presents an existential threat for us. And so for Iran now to be a player in this geopolitical chessboard in Ukraine is, I think, really concerning for Israel um, and also proves their point about Iran being such a huge threat. Um, So I think Iran being brought in, I think when the war first started in February, I I wouldn't have thought, oh, Iran's going to be a part of this as well. Um, And, you know, with Russia and Israel relations kind of souring a little bit with this uh, war, who knows now that Iran, Iran is now in the picture, what that means for the future. But it, it could go to maybe um, this prophecy about the nation's tourney against Israel, you know, Russia and Israel having some sort of a better relationship before the war started, and now it's even worse. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting with Iran now being a player. Excellent over you. You know, Nicole, I wanted to add when you're talking about the war of Gog and Magog, um, you know, and, and Emily, you just kind of brought it up by adding the Iran dimension to the picture, which we're going to come back and discuss in a little bit. Um, anything could trigger a war. I mean, a, any little thing. Uh, not I, It wasn't this calendar year, but a year or two, maybe the year before, I don't remember, Israel was was accidentally involved potentially in the in the shooting down of a Russian plane over Syria because Israeli planes d- missed the uh, were evaded the uh security measures that the Syrians shot and they actually hit a Russian plane and brought that down instead of the uh, Israeli plane and that could have triggered a war and and when you talk about Iran you know there, there's the old saying my enemy's enemy is my friend but in this case my enemy's enemy is still my enemy. And, yeah. and, and and you wonder, is this a war where you, you look at everything that's going on and, and Russia, not, I used to think that Russia would have its own interests to keep Iran um, at, at, at arm's length in Syria. And now it seems like they're cozying up so much because ne- neither has anyone else. And it could, it, anything could trigger anything. Any Any thoughts on that? Emily? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it just takes one accident or one <laughs> uh, misfired drill. I mean, you have no idea. It, it's so touch and go that it could turn into kind sure. of that situation that Nicole was talking about later where, or earlier with Gog and Magog and dragging this, this conflict down south. I mean, it, it could. I mean, we, we really, really don't know. It's, it's so sensitive and and that's, I think it just highlights the precariousness of the situation that we're in right now. Did either of you report last week at the end of the week, it was reported that Israel had a major uh, um, uh, military drill in the north, calling up thousands of reservists, uh, but but planning for some action up there. Nicole, you shook your head. Was that something that you reported on? I remember, on? yeah, no, I, we, we had that. Um, um, we had that, sure. Um, yeah, I just think also... Um, What's what I think is interesting, like to add to this whole um, the alliances shifting, and for recently Israel and Turkey have been repairing, <laughs> and uh, Turkey uh, traditionally like are they with Russia? Are they with Iran? You know, are they now with Israel? And 
So, you know, and I, I believe that some people say that Turkey's part of the Gog Magog Alliance. Yeah. So, um, you know, so then, so, but, but now they're sending ambassadors again to each other's nations and they're improving relations. And I mean, just to complicate it because like, and not to jump it like three topics ahead, but if you just keep expanding, like if we're, we're just looking at Russia, Ukraine, and then we jump down to Syria, but now we've added Turkey. And then what if you add, um, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and not just because I have, you know, interest in, in Armenia, Azerbaijan, but um, the Azerbaijan-Turkey uh, alliance is very important, and Israel has very good relations also with Azerbaijan, and um, they sort of are at odds with Iran, and so Iran, the, you know, very Islamic Shiite nation, or, uh, you know, they are um, the only ones supporting little Armenia, a Christian nation, in that in that neighborhood, it's it's uh it's just crazy. And there's a little um, corridor, a geographic corridor that everybody wants between Azerbaijan and Turkey that goes through Armenia, and um so that is also a powder keg that yes. we should be looking at yep. actually because and it's like a, a, even a corridor. I have to go ask my husband again how to pronounce it, not Nafjidian or something. I'm sure I'm butchering it. Um, but there's, you know, they, Azerbaijan wants to be able to use it to get to Turkey, even though it has no relations with Armenia and Iran says, no, 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 you are not getting your stuff to Turkey this way. You go another way because it's on the border of Iran. But what we all know that we don't know because it's unofficial is that Israel is really also good friends with Azerbaijan because it's on the border of Iran. And that they can, you know, um, probably be be uh, looking in from there and seeing what's Correct. going on, monitoring the situation. So, so as you expand, and we didn't even get to Saudi Arabia and the different <laughs> alliances, and that takes us all the way to China. So it's like, yeah, I mean, somebody just drops a pin, the whole thing can... Uh, the, the ripple effect. Well, we're going to come back and talk about the Saudis. Thank you for complicating all of that. And I guess the summary is the takeaway is in 2023 we should this is not going to be something that we're not going to all be watching and the ripple effect of anything real or perceived can can lead to a war or the war um and and all of that of course is concerning um great i want to take a break for for just a, a half a minute and then come back and pick up some of the other um related and unrelated topics so just we'll wait one minute When you think of Jerusalem, you probably think of its historic and biblical sites. Run for Zion is a trip unlike any other. You will join tens of thousands of Israelis interacting with Jerusalem as you never have and never imagined you would. You'll connect with and bless Israelis of all backgrounds. If you've never been to Israel and are dying to come visit or haven't been for a while and can't wait to get back, Run for Zion is the opportunity for you. And now, if you register today, you can join us for as little as $29. Yes, that's for real, just $29. Run for Zion is a pilgrimage and service experience that gets you out of the tour bus, interacting with the people and the land. Check out runforzion.com for details and come run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Okay, so one of the outcomes of this war in Ukraine has been a huge uh, pickup in Aliyah, in Jews coming to uh, coming back to live in Israel uh, from Ukraine, especially, but not only, also from Russia, because um, again, Russian uh, Jews in Russia have been caught a little bit in the crosshairs. Uh, it's not 
when we say return, of course, these people never lived in Israel, um, but it's but it's the prophetic return. It's it's like me coming here 18 and a half years ago, uh, and it's and it relates to Jews coming from all over the world. It's not a coincidence that they're coming now. Um, it's the fulfillment of a promise. I've done it. Um, obviously, the the return of Jews from North America and other parts of the world is no less prophetic, albeit it's more systematic. What are your thoughts in terms of you've seen, we've seen this year a huge spike in Jews coming home from Ukraine and Russia and, and percentage-wise, probably no less from Ethiopia as well. Um, Emily, you want to start us off? Yeah, actually, this is one of my favorite stories. I love, love, love seeing um, stories like this. And it's it's so clear when you see how the Bible talks about God bringing back the exiles and bringing back the Jewish people to the land of Israel. And you know, that's a happy thing, but oftentimes it is really born out of persecution and, and violence. And, and, and so here are some numbers from the Jewish agency, just from their latest update, which was um, a few months ago in August, but it said to date, some 12,600 new immigrants have arrived in, in Israel from Ukraine and an additional um, 21,000 new immigrants have arrived from Russia and Belarus just since the war began in February. And we're just seeing literally this exodus of Jews in this war-torn zone coming back to the land of their forefathers and coming back to, to um, their, their place of their spiritual and biblical heritage. Um, it's been beautiful to watch. It's also been really difficult to see because a lot of the time, most of them, they're coming empty handed. I mean, yes. they, they're coming with nothing. And um, there have been organizations here that have stepped up to help. I'm proud to say that CBN Israel has stepped up and done a lot of humanitarian work um, with the with the, the refugees that have come here in Israel, help get them settled in this land. So you're seeing like Jews uniting with with Christians to like reset yeah. um, back into the land. Um, and then as for Ethiopian Jews, there has been a push for years and years and years to bring Ethiopian Jews back into Israel, back into Israel to reunite families that have been like separated for decades. Like some of them were able to come over and then they're waiting, waiting and waiting for their family members to come and arrive. And, and the latest that we saw was September and we saw an arrival of um, 300 people um, coming from Ethiopia. We know there's many, many more, um, but it's just beautiful to see prayers answered, um, yeah. even in the midst of such heartache and such um, violence that we're seeing around the world and these shifting political alliances. There's a, a good story of, of a homecoming. Amazing. You know, one of the things is relating to Ethiopian Jews that I've always been an advocate for. We're talking about a, a community of several thousand. And I don't know, I can't do the math right now, but if you take an average large airplane that can seat 250 people and shuttle it back and forth, just one plane in a couple of months, we can close out the history of that piece of diaspora. And I'm, I'm disappointed and pain that we just haven't done that yet. Budget wise, government wise, bureaucracy wise. Um, but that's an easy one. I'd love to be the last one, although in many of the villages in Ethiopia, they don't have electricity, but I'd like to be the one who turns the lights out on that chapter of of, uh, of our exile. Nicole, what do you have to add? Um, you, you've been seeing Aliyah for 20 years here, but but this year is a, a significant spike. Right. I think I got here on, at the end of that of the big Russian wave um, when a lot of the the Soviet Jews and were were the former Soviet Union um, when 
I think it ended like it, it was in the 90s and I got here like 2001. Um, but just um, to point out that uh, something in, that interesting that happened uh, recently is that that Russia is trying to close the Jewish agency uh, right. in um, in Russia. And that's a big deal um, that we need to look at as well. Um, it's part of, um, again, the war and the diplomacy and maybe is- Israel, you know, not taking a strong stance of support for Moscow. I mean, of course, because they're looking more at um, supporting Ukraine um, more so, but instead Israel's re- tried to remain neutral, but not neutral enough for Russia. And um, so there were uh, there have been uh, accusations about how the Jewish agency is operating and Russia has threatened to, to uh, shut it down. And currently the case is going through uh, court, the courts right now. But that will create really big problems for Russians. I think also, I think maybe that Jewish agency helps other republics, possibly um, Belarus or other countries. Um, but that's, gonna, that's going to be something to watch is what happens with that. Because the Jewish agency is the organization that facilitates um, most of the Aliyah. You can go or or all of the Aliyah, I'm not really sure, but I think you, you, that's your first address when you're looking to make Aliyah from another country, usually the Jewish agency. Correct. Excellent. Now, as journalists, you both have to be somewhat objective. Um, there are biases, there are perspectives and prisms that you look through, but when you see Jews coming home, I mean, it's one of the things when I go around and speak in churches and speak about how I witness and participate in prophecy in my life. Um, it, it's undeniable. So how does it, how do you feel as a Christian being here, watching it, seeing it? Yeah, I think for me is it, it's like, it just confirms that God is a promise keeper and that promises that he's made thousands and thousands of years ago, he is still fulfilling in my lifetime. It, it, for me, it confirms the, 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 legitimacy of the Bible, um, and that I'm actually get to be a part of this biblical story by witnessing it, by reporting on it, um, and sharing the story with others who I just know that it gives them hope when they understand what the prophecies are. And, and I, I, I just remember when I first visited Israel, um, and I went to, um, Yad Vashem and I saw like the horror, um, of the Holocaust. And, and I just remember like, towards the end or at the end, there was like this big overlook and you can see like the rolling hills of Jerusalem. And I just was like, mm-hmm. God, you know, if I've ever doubted that you're a promise keeper, like look at where I'm standing and look at what you've done. You've rebuilt this nation out of the desert, out of, out of exile, out of so much pain and suffering. And, and to be able to witness that today as a Christian journalist is exciting. And it's, it strengthens my faith. Amazing. Nicole. Um, as let's say not as maybe not as a Christian, but just as a person who also I didn't make Aliyah, I'm not Jewish. So the fact that I live here now, I went through a different process um, to still live here. Um, but as someone who's who's done it, I have an appreciation for it um, mm. and for for the move. And I think it's from different perspectives, like, for instance, um, you know, coming from America, you know, like yourself, Jonathan, a lot of people look at it like uh I don't want to say a step down, but you know, it's, it's harder here. It's harder than in America. It's, it's more expensive in, in many ways. It's um, the uh, bureaucracy procedures. Everything takes longer. 
um, it's not as developed, um, you know, so, so I, I appreciate that people, you know, have chosen to do that. And then, of course, you see like for the Ethiopians and for some of the Menashe uh, from India, that for them, it, it was, um, you know, it, it was a step up. It was something um, when, when they came here, I remember, I mean, this is like, just breaks your heart. Like, the so, like several years ago when the when the Ethiopian wave was beginning and um they were given donations like for instance there was a one woman said she went into a house uh, where the Ethiopians lived and um and and the mother had she had put she had used the refrigerator as a shoe closet <laughs> she, had, she had no idea what a refrigerator was and it wasn't plugged in and she didn't know like she didn't have one in Ethiopia so there's so what I, I what I also look at is um, the massive need for absorption because you're you know coming from yes. one level from the West and one standard of living and it's and it's and you've gone down in, in a standard of living in many ways but you've come from Ethiopia and some of these other nations and 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 sometimes even Russia depending where they're coming from but and you're coming into a place where you don't even know what a refrigerator is right. and you don't know the language and um and so it's really um thank god let's say for the generations now for the second generation or for first generation born here Ethiopians who are Yes. into society their hebrew is perfect and and but the the first wave they had so much trouble so i just my heart goes out to um to the 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 people who have to to integrate into such a tough society and um and so i think that's something that um that it's not just enough to get them here but help them once they get here Agreed. And there's a lot more. And speaking from firsthand experience, I mean, you're an immigrant, too, but in a different capacity. But it's not easy. It's not easy. I don't I, I suspect if I had immigrated to France, it, was, it wouldn't be easy. But Israel has its uniqueness. Um, but I'm reminded that here I'm here. I'm living out my my birthright and, and raising my children in the midst and grandchildren now in the midst of this um, uh, prophetic opportunity. As I, as I get, I, I spoke in a church recently and I said, you know, one of the prophecies is talking about old men walking in the streets and it's a debate whether I'm old yet or not old yet or how old I'll actually get. But, but I can see that through, through our lives. Um, let's, let's pivot. This is amazing conversation. Let's pivot. Um, I think Nicole, you spoke earlier in terms of, uh, or maybe it was Emily, one of you, uh, the nations coming against Israel, right? This is, this is, uh, prophesied. It's not something that we're just looking at from a geopolitical way. Just recently, and it's not new, it's going on for years and years and years. Um, but just in the last month, three different UN votes, if I'm, if I remember correctly, have taken place. So when we talk about the nations coming against Israel, we're really looking at, at, uh, Mid- Midtown Manhattan is the um, uh, um, what's the word I want to use ground zero of that. Uh, we had a vote um, in the UN declaring May fifteenth as the commemoration of the Nakba, what the Palestinian Arabs call the catastrophe, not the catastrophe of what happened to them, but the catastrophe of Israel's existence, Israel's birth, uh, and that was a vote that won by ninety to thirty. Uh, and was called, I think, treacherous by Israel's ambassador to the UN. Another vote that took that that was by a, a vote of eighty uh, ninety eight to seventeen called for the UN to bring uh, to the International Criminal Court uh, a case of Israel Israel's occupation of Palestine. And a third 
which is quite ironic, especially in light of our conversation, which we maybe get into a little bit more about Iran, is the nations by 152 to 5 calling for Israel to dispose of nuclear weapons that we've never actually claimed to have and um, and, and bring the uh, IAEA, International Atomic Energy Association, I think, uh, in to supervise Israel's nuclear weapons. Now, the irony is even here, here's another great thing. This week, I think it was the Saudi foreign minister said that if Iran gets nuclear weapons, that's going to be a game changer. And I would think that the Saudis would, would want to look to Israel to help in whatever weapons we may or may not have. What do you think of what's going on in the UN? And, and is this part of that prophecy? Nicole? Um, this is, it's hard to say if it's part of this prophecy because it's part of the UN, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's been a UN tradition. Um, so, um, so what, I, what I would say was what really, um, you know, looking at, at this, these specific votes, what, what, what I looked for, like immediately was to see how the Abraham Accords partners voted Yeah, and they voted against Israel. And I find it interesting because they 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 signed on to the Abraham Accords. They said, you know, that it, they they have accepted that what the Israeli Palestinian conflict is going to is going to be separate from their relationship with Israel. But they still voted at the UN. So, um, but mainly uh, the, the UN just does this traditionally, and and it's it's like it, it, it's almost it's not surprising. It's only what does surprise me is the um, the numbers. The numbers are usually overwhelmingly um, against Israel, and there are a few um, that you know vote for, like usually the US votes for Israel and a few other countries. It's a, but it's, you, know, you can almost see the same pattern in every everything. But what it does is just the it's it's a double standard. They um, always go after the Israeli-Palestinian issue, um, but they, you know, there are so many conflicts in the world. There's so many genocides we don't hear of. There's so many human rights violations. And by disproportionately focusing always on the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts, all of these other issues um, are, are going by the wayside. I mean, yeah. did anybody... Um, do anything about uh, the the Syrian um, uh, the Syrian war? There was a, like during the Syrian civil war, there were hardly any uh, UN votes or, or there. You know what was the UN action? You know it wasn't a significant um, issue. Also, uh, I, there's just there's just so many conflicts out there that the that the UN is not focusing on that I believe are unfortunately like people are suffering out there. So um, I, I could almost ex- accept if you're going to constantly have this anti-Israel vote, but it's it becomes like if, as long as you're doing others and, and then it uh, OK, like at least you're looking at others, but it becomes a farce when it's disproportionately focused on Israel and you don't take other conflicts into account. So in that case, it does look like a bias. Um, So, uh, so it's, it's something that the Israeli government's always addressing and they have very strong ambassadors there who make their speeches, but nobody seems to um, ever go on their side. So I'm not, they don't win new friends, even their Abraham Accords allies. So maybe prophecy, but maybe just boys will be boys. 
Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm sure it's the, it's part, probably part of the long-term prophecy. Let's put it that way. Like maybe it's not, um, like I think this is something that is just, you know, like building toward the the long-term, maybe setting okay. the stage. Okay, excellent. You know, uh, just to underscore your point, and then Emily, I love your input. Um, I found a statistic, the UN Human Rights Committee or Council, I don't know what, what the C stands for, UNHRC, um, has voted against Israel in 45% of, or 45% of its votes, co- condemnations are against Israel. So that, that underscores your point, Nicole, about the rest of the world and genuine suffering that's taking place that, that all collectively in the rest of the world is only 55%, which we know, we know reality is not the case. Um, Emily, what do you have to add to this about the whole UN and their voting record? Yeah, I think I think Nicole's right in that it's more it speaks more to a long term prophecy about the nations turning against Israel. But this is old news, even new news about new, new, new UN votes. It's old news to me, like even when I'm producing for Jerusalem Dateline and I'm like, OK, we're going to put in a, a story about the UN. I already know how it's how it's going to go pretty much because it goes the same way um, all the time. And I think Nicole brings up a really good point about um, the other conflicts and other people suffering when there's this hyper fixation on Israel. I mean, especially working for CBN and the Christian Broadcasting Network, you know, we do talk a lot about stories about Christians being persecuted all over the world. I see stories like every week about Christians being attacked or maimed in Nigeria, for example. We hear stories about um, ethnic minorities in, in camps in China. Like, so it, it's just, it, it's hard to def- to defend um, the UN's actions when it just seems like it's so, so biased against the Jewish state. Yeah, interesting. Thank you. Uh, let's let let's let's keep it international for a minute. We spoke about Iran um, a, a little bit ago in terms of in terms of the mix with Russia and Ukraine and 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 of course its presence in Syria. I refer to Iran as the four letter word on the mouth of all Israelis um, because of its presence in Syria, because of its presence supporting Hezbollah, because of its support of Hamas. One thing I don't get is why they support Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which are two conflicting uh, terrorist organizations that that compete kind of against one another for for hegemony in in Gaza. Um, And just this week, here's another great news item as a piece of the Iranian thing. There's a news item that I read that these these terror groups are suffering and we're all weeping for that because the Iranians have cut down funding or funding has uh, has dried up so there and my question on that is will that trigger more terror in order to deflect the economic problems that it will bring in their societies um and by the way nicole you mentioned um your boss joel rosenberg who who just so fond of and, and as a person and, and as a journalist and as a writer um but not it's just not news it, in his novels he writes a great deal about iran and the um eschatology and 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 the, the conflicts there overlaying all of this is this year by the way up until this point nothing is new kind of like in the un but this year we're now seeing protests that are taking place in iran which is fascinating and if ever in the last 40 plus years since the Iranian resolution, revolution, we actually see a challenge to that. So what what do you, we, I know we discussed Iran in the context of the Northern enemies. What do either of you see in terms of Iran and the threats and what it's doing and what, what the challenges to it um, as a whole independent entity? 
Nicole, you're nodding, so you get to go first. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say Emily. <laughs> so Emily, you have uh, some amazing, amazing points. Um, so, but th so this is my. This might be where I'm speculating, which I, you know, about. I like this is speculation. This is based on nothing. I'm actually wondering. I'm watching the Iranian Revolution, um, or whatever this is. This is not the Iranian Revolution. I'm watching the protest. Might be. <laughs> yeah, it might be. It might be. So exactly. So what I so I have been watching it. I've been making sure we we cover it um, as much as possible because I, I don't want I mean, imagine like if you're going out there risking your life and it doesn't get coverage like that's I feel like I want to make sure the their bravery is covered as much as possible. So it's not easy to get news. We have to follow different uh, sources and and it's hard to verify. But um I'm watching it with great interest because um, all of the, the the typical issues that we're watching with Iran, um, you know, is it they, Iran hates Israel, I Iran's building a nuclear weapon. Um, how does this possible uh, revolution or at least these protests that are really threatening the regime, how does this, could this throw a wrench into the Iranian plans? Um, so, so that's why I think it's very important for us to watch what's going on um, over there. Um, and I, I, that's, that's more or less, um, what, why I think it's important and to keep an eye on it, because it possibly this could just change the tra trajectory of, of the, what we expect, you know, we report, um, I feel like I joke, uh, like on a weekly, on a monthly basis, we change the level of the uranium enrich enrichment because <laughs> like some intelligence expert will say, you know, Iran is six months away from a nuclear bomb and then five, four, three, two, one, now they're two weeks away, you know, and I'm like, and it stays like at that number for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, okay, we're in the two week zone now they can, you know, before they can enrich a nuclear weapon. And uh, so, so it's like, I've kind of like tuned that out a little bit because it's, they've said it too much, but, um, but now if let's say that's true, we are sitting on the cusp of an Iranian nuclear weapon. How do the protests affect that? So I think we need to just be watching and see, you know, seeing what's happening there. People yeah, are upset. Excellent. Yeah. excellent. Um, I, I've been lost. I've lost track of timing because of how engrossed I am in speaking with you both. So Emily, I'm going to take a break before you, before you chime in and, and then we're going to come right back. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. 
Okay, Emily, so we're speaking about Iran, um, protests, uh, Nicole's point is a, a well noted is in, in, in some instances, it's sort of like crying wolf, right? Are they really, are they really at two weeks? Or, or, or we just put the pot, it's like the two minute, um, uh, two minute warning in a football game, but it's not really two minutes because you can have timeouts or run out, uh, run, run off uh, out of bounds and then, and then stop the clock that way. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I really think this is something that we have to watch. I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to play out. I, I mean, you see Iran, um, well, you saw this like mixed signals that was happening earlier, like early last week where, you know, it was reported that Iran was considering getting rid of this mandatory hijab right. rules and, and kind of lifting some of these, these very, very strict dress codes. And, and there was mixed signals, like the, the government's like, no, we're not doing that. And then I think you see today, I mean, just recently that they have executed the second person who they were arrested um, during the protest. So you kind of see this doubling down instead of lifting and, and giving more freedom to the Iranian people. Um, however, there have been reports of of less enforcement of strict dress code in Iran, even though it's not like an official policy, you're not seeing people being, you know, um, harassed as much anymore. So I really don't know. And, and I, I think at least what it does is it really exposes Iran's nature to the international community. The international community really wants to negotiate with Iran um, to try to prevent it from having a nuclear weapon. But I think this really puts on display like this is who you're negotiating with. Is this a trustworthy party to negotiate with? Um, so we'll see. And, and as and, and if we revert to the earlier part of our conversation, as they cozy up and supply weapons to Russia, which were which were against, and it's a great point that you mentioned in terms of the international community, because also noted this year is that until what about the summertime, um, the U.S. was all in in terms of trying to get a new uh, nuclear deal mm-hmm. and. And not just didn't just pause it, but actually said that right now we're that's not going to be a right. focus. So it, right. so okay, we're another thing we're going to be watching in 2023. I suspect um, that won't go away until it does go away, and and who knows what might bring that down. Um, Nicole, I think you mentioned earlier relations with the Saudis uh, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I don't remember which week it was. We read the Torah portion um, with Jacob and Esau's uh, reunion after about 20, uh, 20 plus years. Now, just as I'm saying that, it's interesting because it's been about that period of time since the Saudis put out their peace plan, which they still have to hold by. And you can even overlay that into a kind of biblical um, um, reunion of, of, of rival brothers. Uh, also this year, in terms of relations with the Saudis, uh, when President Biden was here in Israel in the summer, is when the formal announcement came and has now been implemented that Israeli commercial flights would be allowed to transverse Saudi airspace, not just to the Gulf states, but to other parts of the world, cutting down flight time to Thailand and India and making direct flights to the Philippines and and Australia realistic. Um, Nicole, maybe start with you and and only from the perspective of um, your boss, our mutual friend, Joel Rosenberg, has spent a little bit of time and has a great insight and written about what's going on in Saudi Arabia. And you also um, are editor for All Arab News. What's your sense of of the relations with the Saudis and in general? And why don't we have peace with them yet? 
That's a good question. Um, yeah, everybody expected the Saudis to come in uh, right away after um, after the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, but uh, it's been it's been a while. Um, and I think um, we we should we'll also have to look at um, well when Saudi Arabia comes in. I think it's like it, it it it's the crown jewel. I think Joel calls it the the big the big Kahuna. They come in and it's. That's a large geographic swath that basically gives Israel um, allies from sea to sea, you know. Um, so so that that's a very major deal. And I think the Saudis are just making sure that they can do this like like they do have a relations with Israel, maybe not official and. Um, perhaps on, you know, undercover, but there are relations with Israel. And um, so it's just a matter of making it official. Making it official will probably uh, take a little bit more um, backroom deals um, and also a little bit on the on the part of the Palestinians, because I think the Arab world doesn't want to be seen as abandoning the Palestinians. Um, so that's why I believe Saudi Arabia is taking its time. Um, but the other thing, so this government that's uh, supposed to be coming in, um, the Israeli government um, has said, I think Ron, no, no, it was Danny Danone who said last week at a conference, yeah. he said that we will get Saudi Arabia um, with, like he said this year, I don't think he means by the end of 2022, but probably within a year, he said, but that will be the priority of, of a Netanyahu government is to get Saudi Arabia into the Abraham Accords. Okay, so there's that. But I also look at it from the perspective of two other countries um, from the U.S., um, the, yeah. the U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia ha- are not as warm as they were under uh, President Donald Trump. So um, so that has basically sent Saudi Arabia looking elsewhere and who they have looked to is China. And so Saudi Arabia is solidifying its ties with China. So bringing that back around, uh, Israel has good relations with China, but the U.S. doesn't like that Israel has good relations <laughs> with China. So, you know, again, there's this all this shifting. And honestly, like I, I don't bring prophecy or clarity, but I just say, okay, just watch the region because, you know, there's all of this back and forth um, between, let's say, these four countries, uh, Saudi Arabia, China, Israel and the U.S. And, sure. it's you know, who's balancing who? Um, so, well, yeah, excellent in terms of the, the the calling this the crown jewel. I think we've already now, after I don't know how many decades, taken for granted that Egypt is Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the two most influential um, Arab countries. Um, we've had peace with Egypt for now four decades or so. Um, yeah, four decades. But 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 with the Saudis, particularly because it's Arabia, you actually see even more that. Uh, um, the reunion of Jacob and Esau and and, um, tension, never outright formal war between the two and the Saudis who interjected themselves some 20 years ago to create the Saudi peace plan. uh, Some problems with thereof, but, but very boldly offering full diplomatic relations, not just with themselves, but the whole Arab world. It'll be interesting to see. Emily, what's your, what's your perspective? Yeah, I I think, I think it's really, I like what you, you said about like Jacob and Esau kind of coming together um, in some ways here. Um, but yeah, I, I, I saw Danny Denome saying that, you know, we're going to get Saudi Arabia really soon. I've also sat in military briefings that have suggested that 
it's not imminent um, and that there's a lot more that has to happen behind the scenes before we get a huge player like Saudi Arabia in the mix. Um, and I, I'm not sure what that would look like once we do get Saudi Arabia, if we do get Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, I'm not sure that they would like necessarily come to Israel's defense militarily. Like I think we have to to taper our expectations of what that relationship could look like, but it still is a really big deal, nonetheless, if Saudi Arabia and Israel um, kind of like have full diplomatic relations. So sure. I, I guess it just remains to be seen. <laughs> like we say, like it's, it remains to be seen. So I want to, I want to take a, uh, take off on a point that, uh, for you, Emily, that Nicole brought up in, in the sense that Saudis, we can't, Saudis don't want to let on at least that there is going to be a total abandonment of the Palestinians. Although at some point they may just say like some of the other countries, okay, enough already, we, we need to move on. <clears throat> and that doesn't mean we're not going to support in whatever need that we way we need to with Palestinian Arabs, but, um, but we're not going to let that be the uh, ball, uh, uh, ball and chain around our uh, legs at this time. You more than Nicole and I, although by just full disclosure, I am somewhat older than Nicole. So I'll take, responsibility for that um but emily you represent more the demographic of young christians whose support for israel is waning significantly and i think we've spoken about this when we've had coffee together in jerusalem and part of that is how how people perceive the palestinian arabs and and and, um israel's relationship or lack of peace or perspective or or perceived apartheid and occupation what do you think specifically relating to the saudis and you're not a prophet any more than Nicole or I, at least that not that we know of, but <laughs> could be, who knows? Um, <laughs> so. But uh, prophet Emily. Uh, um, but what do you think in terms of, you know, you, we've now seen a, a, a number of new Arab states not push away the Palestinian issue, but put it on the side. Do you, how do you think the, the Saudis specifically having proposed their own plan contingent on a full resolution of a, of a, of the conflict with the Palestinian Arabs might juggle that. Yeah, um, I, I'm not quite sure that if the Saudis um, one day establish full diplomatic ties with Israel, that that also means that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been resolved. I think the way that Saudi Arabia would do it would be very similar to how the other Abraham Accords nations did, which is like, we're recognizing the Palestinian rights. They might even, like we see in the UN, like those nations vote against Israel in the UN, even though they have diplomatic relations with Israel, they're still supporting like Palestinians on that end without like demanding like the Saudis a full resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I think with all of the the geopolitical shifting and the changes and and concerns that Saudi Arabia has for Iran as a rival in the region, that they would be more inclined to kind of follow the route that the other Abraham Accords countries have done, which is establish diplomatic ties, but don't completely cast away the Palestinians, especially on the international stage. Um, instead of go with the original plan from a while ago, which was we want to see a resolution to this conflict. Excellent, thanks. Uh, what well, we both now we're, 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 we've all talked about the 
prospective new incoming government of Israel. Full disclosure, as we have this conversation, the government has not yet been formed, although there are imminent rumors. And by the time people are listening to this conversation, we may have a government that's leading to all kinds of other uh, issues, not necessarily prophetic, but but how they're playing out. And that's certainly going to be something to watch in 2023. Uh, Nicole, you had, when we were chatting offline about why this is significant um, in in the context of not just news-wise, but in the context of our conversation prophetically, you spoke about the new government uh, potentially being in a place to uh, help with the rebuilding of the temple. Um, you want to you want to jump into that or other issues that you can see that are more in the prophetic as compared to generic news items? No, let's start with that um, because you know, like I said, I'm I'm not necessarily like looking for the prophetic um, in in the news. I'm I'm covering the news, but I am I have spoken to a, to a lot of people, both Christians and Jews who um, are spiritual and religious, and they are seeing this as an opportunity for the messianic era. Is that, I mean, you may correct me on my terminology, um, but they're seeing this as ushering in, um, Christians would say the end times. And um, because this uh, government, the potential government that's forming is made up of only four parties and three of them are religious, um, like they're, or they're like not like Orthodox or uh, ultra Orthodox. Um, so that's a very large portion of the, and also there are religious uh, members in Likud. So, you know, right. you probably have more than 50% of the governing coalition um, will be religious to some extent. And a lot of, so the, the, uh, these like uh, the big power party this year is not the biggest party number wise, but religious Zionism, which also includes Jewish power and um, Noam, is um, there. They are um, of, I think, the persuasion of you know going to the Temple Mount, like um, building the temple. Like I think that that's that's their their background and more Jewish access to the Temple Mount. So what we're looking at, um, I believe, with this government is the ability to um, to put to to try to push through um, a temple or uh, more access to the Temple Mount that could create a, um, a, a temple. And they're really a lot of people are really looking to this as the the end time solution or the beginning of the end. Um, I was I was surprised, you know, I looked at it very pragmatically, politically, in terms of the laws. But so if I if I may add some other laws, though, because we spoke before about Aliyah. And right now, Aliyah is open to people going back to the third generation to their grandparents, if their grandparents can, you know, if you could prove your grandparent was Jewish, you can make Aliyah. But this government is also looking to change that. Yes. So that would reduce Aliyah. I, I don't know the numbers. And I think it'd be very interesting if, if maybe somebody's written about it, but I don't have them. But um, about what is the potential? Is it thousands or millions that would be cut off from potentially making Aliyah, right. which is this is like even like your conflicting prophecies and promises um, within the same government and the, and, uh, the different things that they want to bring up. So I think those are two major aspects is what is going to happen on the Temple Mount with this new government. And I'm telling you, you know, watch the Temple Mount in 2023 and see what's going to happen there, but also, uh, what is going to happen with Aliyah? 
Excellent. By the way, and the point about Leah, and it's a great, it's a great, um, issue that you brought up in the, in the perceived conflict. Of course, from a, from a Jewish religious perspective, if you don't have a Jewish mother, which means having a Jewish maternal grandmother, then you're not Jewish. So technically, Aliyah is not the prophecy, but it's the return of the Jews. So the religious parties are going to say, well, yeah, fine, we can have more immigrants, but if they're not actually Jewish, then which gets into a whole other month long conversation uh, for another time. Um, Yeah. Emily, uh, Nicole, have you been up to the Temple Mount? You're here 20, 20 years. Have you been up there? I was, I was actually up. I was actually um, on a tour with um, one of the leaders of the WAF and went into Al-Aqsa as well. So I was up there, but that was several years ago. I need to go back in present times. Oh, I'll go with you maybe. Emily, how about you? Have you been up there? Yeah, I went back in 2015. Um, Yeah. And it was, it was intense. It was like, this is literally the spiritual epicenter of this conflict. I mean, it was really intense. I actually there, uh, when I was there, I saw some Jews being like escorted in that area. And then I saw like the reaction from Muslim worshipers who were very, very, very upset, um, screaming, yelling. Um, But we have also seen a difference. Like you and I have talked about with more Jews being allowed to go up to the Temple Mount and even like praying. And and there was um, a, a story that I wrote like a few months ago of this Jewish organization, this Israeli organization that was recording that there had been like 50,000 Jewish visits to the yes. Temple Mount over the last year before, before Rosh Hashanah. And those, that doesn't necessarily mean 50,000 people that could be like repeat visits, but still it lets us know that there, something is changing there at yes. this like spiritual epicenter of the conflict where more Jews and Christians are having access to, to this place. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Christians because I was just about to say, leave it to the Orthodox Jew in the room to mention that it's not just the significance of Jews going up to the Temple Mount and Jews being able to worship, but current, the what do we call it? The current status quo. The law is yeah. that Jews and non-Muslims, whether it's Jews, Christians, Hindus, whomever, are not allowed to worship there. And that's kind of an affront to all of us now, isn't it? Um, in a place that's without any argument, no, much more spiritually significant to Jews and Christians, even recognizing that Al-Aqsa is the third holiest site, but they still turn their backs on Alaska when they're praying toward Mecca. And we face, not Christians, we as Jews, face Jerusalem from any direction when we're, when we're praying. So I, I think when we talk about the Temple Mount, it's that, it's that um, prophecy, if you will, of the temple being a house of prayer for all nations. And if we look back biblically, it wasn't just a place and is not going to be just a place that Jews come back and worship um, and or maybe bring offerings. Uh, that's a whole, again, another month-long conversation. Um, we, we segued from temple, from the government to the temple to uh, to the Temple Mount a little bit and, and um, kind of blurring two topics together before we move on to the next one is there anything either of you want to wrap up on on these two the government or the temple mount no only if you're going to bring up the red heifers separately that was next so i wanted to ask about the red (laughs) heifers so anyone who's been listening to inspiration from zion pun intended religiously knows that i had the unbelievable privilege of being at the airport 
for the arrival of the five red heifers that were sent on an American Airlines plane in uh, September, I think, right? And I honestly thought it would be cool. I didn't know how overwhelmed I was going to be. It was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with how overwhelmed I was being there. And this has got a lot of play, not just me writing and doing a podcast, but you've, you've each written about it. Nicole, you and I have had some side conversations about it too. Why is it significant? Um, if you want to yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Um, well, first of all, I, when th- that was our top story of the year, the red it heifers really- was the all Israel news top story of the year. Um, be- because I guess everybody out there understands the significance. And if they don't, they're looking it up now. Um, so, <laughs> so I, when this happened, I, you know, I, that's right. I saw pictures of you. So I immediately, uh, you know, at the airport, at the event. So I immediately called you to say, explain to me everything. What does this mean? <laughs> So, um, so it fasc- it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I had to study up, I had to understand, and of course I don't fully understand, but, um, why don't I, I'll start with the end first. And, um, as far as I know, I've interviewed a now, um, with the American Christian who helped to bring over the heifers and help find them, uh, locate them, inspect them and bring them over. Um, according to him, there is the the possibility that these heifers could actually be sacrificed by August or September, 2023. So I I don't know what Jonathan, you're going to have to tell me, what does that mean? But I mean, I'm sitting here like in, in, in 2022 thinking animal sacrifice can happen in less than a year from now. That would be the actual, like the first time that the, you know, the cows would be over a year old. And if they still have only red hairs, um, then, you know, if if they're still ritually pure, that they would be able to be sacrificed. That would be like the time frame would be Rosh Hashanah, a year from the time that they landed. So obviously the timing is also extremely significant. But then I asked, well, what about um, the temple? Don't you, there's no way that the temple is going to be built by that time. And what he said was, and I don't know the specifics of where this comes from, but apparently there can be a plot of land, and I don't know if it has to do with latitude, um, but that they have bought a plot of land on the Mount of Olives that's directly across from the temple, and that is has been approved for a place that the sacrifice could take place. Right. So they own the land and they don't need the temple, but then you will have the ashes because this particular sacrifice is like a burnt offering. And then you have the ashes and the ashes purify water. Is that correct? The ashes are put into the water and the water is used for the purification. Yeah. Okay. So that's a kind of sacrifice that can last for for years, for decades or something. Like it's a very significant so, so for instance, it could be like, it, it doesn't mean we're going to imminently see um, everything happening maybe next year, like also a temple and animal sacrifice, but you will have the ability to purify priests for temple worship. Correct. As of that sacrifice. hundred percent. Right. And by the way, when you're talking about sacrifice, it's a, it's a probably, probably a proper English word, but it's people shouldn't be confused with the sacrifices in the temple itself, as far as offerings, because this is not an offering. This is the 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 
oh dear, now I'm blanking on even where the scripture is. Um, the whole red heifer, it's complicated, but it, right. it's, it's, it's very simple. It's not a lot of text about it, but it's mm-hmm. very complicated. And it's not a, it, it's, it's a, it's a way we use the ashes of a dead red cow in order to pure, purify ourselves from ritual impurities, often in contact, having been in contact with some, a, a, a dead body. So that's mm-hmm. one of the great contradictions in Judaism. And yeah, the significance would be that not necessarily that the temple will be built by by the summer and therefore the ashes available by the end of the summer, but but having having the red heifers here means there could be one, and then there could be a uh, if you will, for lack of another word, an inventory of red heifer of ashes that can be ready to be used for that um, for that purification. But however, when we were talking before, I just want to interject this. We were talking about the temple and you, you, I think it was Unical mentioned the ushering of the messianic era. I used to own a book. I don't think, I, I think when we downsized, I gave it away, but it's called the messianic temple. And it runs through all of the prophecies of the restoration of the temple. And one of the, one of the thoughts, one of the theories is not that someone's going to go there with stone and hammer and, and, and plywood and build a temple. But that it, but if God wants to do it, He can just bring it down from heaven. Um, yeah. That's it's hard for us to imagine sitting here at the very end of 2022. But He is God, so nothing, nothing is uh, ruled out. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with a Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs, and living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. And please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured. And there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Emily, how did... um... How did the Red Heifer story play on CBN? 
Oh, it was so, so popular. But I actually wanted to comment on that last thing about God bringing down the temple. It also, it's like, it's just reminding me of like this Christian prophecy of like heaven coming to earth and like God establishing his kingdom here and creating a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, like all these things. So it's just interesting, like that connection of, you know, maybe the temple is brought down, but yeah, the, the red heifer story was so, so, so popular. It was one of our top, top stories. And I think for the same reasons that Nicole mentioned was you either knew about it and knew how significant it was, or you didn't. And like me was doing a ton of research, like what is the big deal about these cows? Like, what is the big deal? They're but cute. I, They're cute. Yeah, but I see it. It's a really, really big deal. Um, but the part of the story that I really love the most is that it was Christians who were helping bring this over, that it was like Christians and Jews coming together. And with all of the doctrinal differences and, and differences that we have, like there was this unification of like, we want to see God's will on earth. And we look at the scriptures and we see him speaking and, and, and we, we hold that as important in our lives and like relevant now like here on earth. Um, so I love, excuse me, I love to see um, just like this, this teamwork between Christians. I actually did not expect Christians to be involved in, in this kind of um, uh, story. So it was really cool. Christians involved and the rancher who owned four of the five that came, that came over donated them. He raised, he was raising red cows in order to be able to do this. I learned more about it when I was just in Texas, but what's so also so cool and and dips our toe again into the prophetic is that if you look in the Talmud, there's even a story about, um, mm-hmm. ugh, I forget the guy's name. People can follow it on the podcast I did or, 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 or email me for the article. We'll include it in an update for anyone who wants sources for all the topics we're discussing today. Um, but there was a source, not of a Christian, but because there weren't Christians then, but Gentiles who, who owned one of the red heifers and had and had the privilege of having that be, if I'm not mistaken, the last one that was being used until the destruction of the second mm-hmm. temple. So it's it's amazing how this comes together. This is not this is not just coincidences. It's really incredible. Um, mm-hmm. We're well into overtime, and I w- I'm going to make sort of a, a administrative decision that there's while there's one very very rich topic to discuss, which is all of the archaeological issues. Um, that things that just that have been revealed this year, I'm going to push that off and maybe for a separate conversation, uh, but certainly inviting anyone who wants to know what are, we have a long list of things just that were discovered this year archaeologically that are proving the prophecy and, and, and demonstrating all of this. But I want to wrap up with one with one, which is um, perhaps not prophetic in the sense that it's not in one of the book of prophets, but it goes back to Genesis 12, 3. Which is, which is one of the pivotal things that brings us together as Jews and Christians. And that's where God says that the Jews, not, on, not only are people supposed to be a blessing to Israel, but Israel is supposed to be a, a blessing to the families of the world. You, you both know this as friends, and you've seen the things that I've written, and we'll talk about what I've done. But, but a lot of that happens here and from here this year. And I, and I want to speak about the things that we've done from the Genesis 123 Foundation. But one of the things that impressed me also recently is there's this organization called Save a Child's Heart that brought the 3,000th child from Africa or the Palestinian Authority or some other um, developing place in the world for heart surgery, uh, corrective heart surgery that can't be performed where these children live. 
Um, you, you, you can be shamelessly flattering of me, but what are these, what do you see of, uh, of these issues um, where, where you're seeing it play out? Emily, you wrote, you wrote when we were talking about the topics that you covered the story of me with a baby formula. Want to talk about that or other things? Yeah. That you've yeah. Seen? Yeah, I really like that story. And it actually was really popular on our website because we were just seeing every day in the news, you know, parents unable to feed their children, like, like literally freaking out, like we don't have enough formula and mom's groups coming together of like, well, I can ration out this or I can donate or whatever. But I think our audience really connected with like baby formula, basically being airlifted, like brought through you. Smuggled. Yeah, smuggled, <laughs> smuggling infant formula to the United States, which is like crazy. You would never, I mean, it's, it's sad that that was the situation, but it, it's, it's beautiful. I think it's just such a practical example of Israel um, blessing the nations and random families in the U.S. in this very personal way, being allowed to have some security and feeding their children through Israel and through Israelis like you and your organization um, facilitating that. So yeah, I think I love that story. Is, is there anything else that you could point to in the, in the last year that pops out, whether it's um, medical technology, agriculture, where, where Israel's just clearly out there um, being that blessing to the families of the world? Yeah, I actually, uh, when you mentioned the save the child's heart, um, that was kind of the first thing that was on my mind. And, and um, just like, it it just really shows the best of humanity, like, to be honest, because there's so much, like, you can talk about conflict and war and everything, like, happening in Israel, but to see children being brought over from even, like, Ukraine, like, I remember doing a story about a young Ukrainian girl being brought over, or um, Shiva Medical Center in Israel setting up, like, medical tents, like, in, um, yeah. with, uh, in that area yeah. to, like, bring people who have been injured and, and hurt in this war to come and get life-saving treatment. And um, that's just another example of, 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 of just like the goodness that's, that's happening coming out of Israel to these really harsh parts of the world. Awesome. Thank you, Nicole. You and I, I just as Emily was speaking, I remember you and I were having a conversation uh, maybe a month, month and a half ago about my frustration and in the lack of an overwhelming response to the program that I initiated to raise money to support Christians in Pakistan who are suffering, A, as Christians and B, in this country where, I don't know, tens of millions were flooded out and still are suffering from that. Um, And not to talk about that as the topic, but what, what other things were significant this year uh, vis-a-vis what, what you reported on, what you've seen, Israel being that blessing to the families of the world? Well, I mean, I was going to say Pakistan. I was going to say, I was going to talk about your initiative because I think that's uh, really, that that was amazing. Um, also to, to focus, with, you know, Christians in Pakistan, extremely persecuted minority and um, to be able to help them, I'm sure they'd be the last people to get the goods that are getting there. Right. Uh, so, so that was a really amazing initiative, um, very needed. And um, just uh, like, you know, two that I wrote down off the top of my head. Um, one is about actually Israeli technology slash entrepreneurship, which I think is just such an amazing mix. Um, there is a, a man that I, I met that actually runs a coffee roaster here, but it started when he was in Colombia that he saw how the farmers were suffering and not like the, the small farmers that don't produce a lot of coffee. They very uh, dry land. 
And they said, well, if there's no rain, we don't have coffee this year. And he said, no, that's not how Israelis think. So he <laughs> said, let me, build, so let me build you an irrigation system. And he said, the only thing you pay me is give me 50% of the crops. And the guy was like, yeah, great. So he did it. It produced a, a great yield. Um, wow. He um, did 50%. He started doing it for other farmers. Now he's got this amazing system where he's he's selling and roasting coffee here to Israelis and pretty soon going to be importing to Americans through a Christian company, which is just like, so it's just this amazing uh, mix of Israeli technology helping farmers in Colombia and other soon to be other countries in South America and in Ethiopia that's selling coffee to Israelis and going to be exporting through a Christian company in America. So it's just this amazing uh, combination. And one other thing I would point to that um, Israeli ingenuity going out is not um, in the form of a, an item, but an ethos. Um, this organization, there's an organization called Shalva. Shalva mm -hmm. is an organization that helps children and young adults with special needs. And they have started working with the United Arab Emirates um, uh, to um, have best practices in wow. both the Emirates and, and Shalva. So, so Shalva is exporting its uh, know-how of, of um, therapies and um, helping families to the world. And I think that's a another beautiful thing we can uh, look at this year. Amazing. And when you speak about children, you necessarily speak about families. So it is that definition of the blessing of the families of the world. By the way, I love the point. I never, never heard about that whole coffee roaster thing but obviously the if you will the seed of that what is the fact that is is the prophecy in ezekiel of when we return the land is going to blossom and and it's because of the israel uh, uh agricultural technologies and making the land blossom that you could have an israeli happen to be in Colombia and change the perspective but also bring the technology uh th that has been so successful here and now what I refer to, not just making the land blossom, but making Israel, um, which is 60% desert, um, in, in essence, a water exporter because of all of the crops that we export. Um, this has been amazing. Um, we went well into overtime. I, I don't know how naive. Clearly, I'm not a prophet because I thought we would wrap this up in about an hour. Um, this has been amazing. But what I would love to do is ask, ask each of you to put on your prophet hat as we're on the cusp of 23 and not the news items to look for. We've discussed a lot of them, but, but if you were either prophetic or if you were sitting in Las Vegas and placing bets, what are we, what, what's going to happen? What do we need to be looking for? What do you think that's, that's a sure bet that if we're having the conversation um, a year from now? That's Stump. a really hard question. Um, I would say continue to look at the war in Ukraine and, and Russia's ties with Israel. Um, what Nicole brought up about the Jewish agency potentially getting shut down there or um, their work um, just really interrupted in some way. I think that that is definitely something to look out for. Um, I think continue looking at Iran and the protests that are happening and how that um, could potentially destabilize the government or not, or it could lead to even a harsher crackdown, which could result in even more, um, more backlash. Um, and also just look at 
potential expansion of the Abraham Accords with this new government coming in and like this, that being a priority, you know, we could see more countries coming um, willing to have diplomatic ties with Israel. So yeah. that's what I would think. Awesome. Nicole? Emily, that was really good. I'm like still like, ah, like so you agree with Prophet Emily? Well, what she said. Prophet Emily was great. Um, well, uh, I would I would say let's look at continue to look at China. Um, I feel like uh, China. We just did an article last week about um, um, China has police stations in different countries in the world and. Yeah and they're not really called police stations. They're not really, and there's, so there's something going on with China's influence. Um, And so also in Israel, you know, that's what, what, what are they doing here? Um, And then I I've said before, and I'm not copping out. I am totally copping out um, all eyes on the temple Mount um, this year, because I think the new government will be empowered to uh, have more visits and the visits are, um, incendiary to the Muslims who are there. So this could lead to possibly more violence. I'm, you know, I'm just, uh, just, so I'd say, keep your eyes on that. Um, if, if, if that escalates and then also, um, things are not necessarily quiet. I think if you're overseas, you don't hear the day to day, but, um, you know, the Israeli army is every day going into communities in the West Bank and Janine, especially in the Pal- Palestinian uh, towns there and cities and uh, resting and having operations. And uh, there are, you know, so there's there's still a lot going on a daily basis that you don't hear about. So keep an eye on that, because if that spills over um, outside of Judea Samaria, outside of the West Bank, then it is something you will hear about, um, and it could be a lot more dangerous. So, that's and, any saying. and any of those things could trigger a war, if not the war, which happens by coincidence to be the first topic that we discussed. Um, uh, Nicole and Emily, wow! I knew this was going to be great. I'm so grateful to both of you. Um, for for joining me and inspiration from Zion today, for sharing your knowledge and perspective, and obviously heart for Israel. This is not just a job for either of you. Um, and I'm so grateful. And I guess the fact that we went as long as we did shows that there's a lot of pro- prophetic stuff going on here. So yeah. thank you both. True. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. This was great. Great idea. It was great. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll come back and do a Monday morning quarterback and see how, how things are going. So yeah. as we kind of wrap up, and, and especially for the year, it's nice to have a closing calendar year uh, episode. Um, we always say, actually, the very beginning of this year, I, I started saying, if you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. And beginning this year, beginning in January, we started offering a special gift every month called From Jonathan's Bookshelf. And today, literally, as I sit speaking, I'm looking at the book on top of one of the big piles on top of my desk called Future Tense by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who was the former chief rabbi of England and uh, unfortunately died in the last uh, two years, but a tremendous thinker. And and I like giving this book away at the end of the year because it's entitled Future Tense. We should be looking forward. And Rabbi Sachs has such great insight. So all we ask is that you go to the inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. And when you comment and share the link to this program, we will select one person at random 
to receive a copy, this copy that I have right here of this book. As always, we're grateful that our podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. Always, if you're in the area, stop in and thank them for helping make uh, programs like this possible. And also thanks to the Coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. This specific episode, we don't have a particular sponsor of, but we always invite people if they'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion to be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We always love your questions and comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions, especially about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this program with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.